Hey everybody, welcome to episode 123, episode 123. My name is Kieran, and I have been metal detecting for 30 years. This week, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about what to look out for when buying a detector. Plus, Dr. Detector has a question he needs to answer. But first, some quick updates. Keep the reviews and ratings coming in. We have a five-star rating across seven countries, which is great. Many thanks to all who helped and keep them coming, guys. I really appreciate it. So next week will be the last episode on a Friday. We will move to a Wednesday release schedule on the 7th of December. Same time, same back channel. And like I said, we have an update from the doctor. Stay till the end to hear what the doctor has to say. So let's get into it. This week, we chat about what to consider when buying a detector. Why this topic? Well, I'm seeing a lot of what detector should I buy, and I have never detected before, but should I buy a Manticore, a Nox, a Deus 2, etc., and a lot of opinions surrounding this, normally due to bias, purchase bias. I bought this detector, so this detector must be the best, and you should buy it too. So this episode is dedicated to trying to provide you an unbiased information path to help you make an informed decision, rather than just picking up the newest and shiniest model because you believe that popularity is a guide to quality. On that point, popularity has a direct correlation to how big the marketing budget of the brand is. Take XP, for example. XP have the worst marketing plan, in my opinion, I have ever seen, which consists of If you build it, they will come, mixed in with a certain level of arrogance. On paper, the XP Deus and the Deus 2 should be one of the best or most advanced detectors out there. However, if you look at the direct marketing spend of XP, you can measure this by the sheer lack of content, etc. that XP have out there. Read the Deus 2, for example. The Deus certainly did not ship as many units as MineLabs, CTX, or Nox, or E-Track. Does this mean MineLab is better? No, it only means that MineLab have taken a portion of the detectorist mindshare through very successful marketing. So first tip, do not believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. So first tip, don't believe the hype. Base your decision on actual impartial reviews if you can find it. It'll take a bit of work, but it'll be out there. Be careful if a brand partner has produced a review of a product. Brand partners are there to augment the selling machine and will promote a brand based on whatever brand gives them the most percentage or cut of the final recommended retail price. Just look at any supplier and they are affiliated to a particular brand. Joan Allen, for example, looks to be well affiliated with MindLab, Kelly Co, Garrett, just to name a few. So again, base your decision on a real-world impartial review. Red flag of a biased review, or a review to take with a pinch of salt, is if the reviewer bought the detector themselves, so there's a potential for purchase bias there, or if it's their only detector they own. Again, purchase bias. Next thing to consider is your budget. Firstly, you need to take away the cost of a pinpointer, a fines pouch, and digging tools, etc., if your budget is 500 bucks, consider that you need to carve off at least 100 bucks for a pinpointer, digging tools, etc. Obviously, you can save some cash using that spade you have in your garden shed that you'd never used. But I would advise buy a good 
quality pinpointer. Garrett, Mine Lab, XP, Nocta. Don't be fooled into purchasing a knockoff from China. Buy cheap, pay twice. So consider your budget and how far you want it to go. You may need to go secondhand to make it go further. That's actually what I would advise when you're starting out. If your budget is too low, I would consider less than 200 bucks too low, to be honest. You're going to buy a low quality detector geared towards kids, really. I say anything over 200 bucks because you can get a good starter detector for around that price on the secondhand market. The simplex comes to mind. 250 if you want to get a pinpointer as well. If you're lucky enough to have an unlimited budget, look at point one first and find an impartial review. But then consider this next point, complexity and the learning curve required for advanced detectors and also consider the return on that extra investment. It is safe to say that the added features or feature difference between a mid-level detector and an advanced detector is minimal, however with a not so minimal price difference. For me, the general rule of thumb is advancement in customization or profiles and adjustment of levels such as response. So let's start with a low complexity detector. These are normally priced well within the 500 bucks budget, around 250 to 350. They come with the necessary features deployed reliably. For example, pretty solid discrimination with notch and a couple of profiles or programs inbuilt with potential to turn on or off segments or a range of discrimination. Also, a low complexity machine would come at auto ground balance. However, generally, they would come at zero recovery and response adjustment, limited LCD screen, and limited waterproofing. If looking for a detector in this complexity range, remember that included accessories are made to make the total package look attractive and add perceived value, which means that the manufacturing spend on the actual detector is a lot lower. Forget about simple multi-frequency, GPS, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, However, some good examples come from the Garrett Ace range. A mid-range detector in relation to budget and complexity will come in between 300 to 700 bucks and will attempt to come with all the features listed previously. But that brings a certain level of complexity and comfort. Again, carbon fiber shafts, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi headphones included but functionally able to create some level of personalization. A great example would be the Nocta Simplex or MindLab's Noct 600. You might find a deal on the Nocta Legend to squeak under the 700 bucks. But does this matter when picking your first detector? Is there a marked improvement in performance for the increase in complexity? I would have to say no. The only advantage I can see in a beginner buying a mid-level detector as a first detector is in future-proofing your hobby equipment. If you happen to buy a mid-level detector as your first detector, you better hope you like the hobby, as you won't be getting into the details of the detector for a while. And considering this jump in complexity may put you off the hobby altogether due to the steep learning curve, especially at the start where you're digging everything and doubting every step. However, if you're not a beginner and you have the budget, go for it. In fact, a mid-level is where I would put the sweet spot between value, feature set and complexity. So if you got the hots for it and you're looking for a high complexity detector and you got the budget, high complexity, high budget detectors will normally come with some level of cutting edge technology, unless you're talking about the CTX, which is outdated at this point, but still commands a high price tag and high complexity. 
This high complexity and cutting edge technology normally means you're an early adopter, which comes with its own challenges. Early software bugs, manufacturing faults. This is a pain in the ass for some and mana from the gods for others. I am a classic early adopter. I love finding bugs and updating software. So high complexity, cutting edge detector is ideal for me. So when you're picking a detector, your budget directly influences complexity. And complexity is a consideration to where you are in the hobby, either a noob or not a noob, and whether you're a fan of early adoption and new technology. If you are, go for it. However, I would never recommend a noob buy an advanced high price tag detector. The next factor to consider when picking a detector is your preferred hunting environment. If it's a saltwater beach, you need to consider if your detector is suited to this terrain. If you're looking for gold nuggets, can your detector's frequency go high enough? Are you going to be hunting underwater? What IP rating will you need? Consider everything. Certain detectors are specially designed for certain environments. Educate yourself on this before you buy. But I'll give you an example of what not to do. For example, I see a lot of beach detectorists asking questions on how to get the best from the simplex on the wet, salt, watered sand. If they had done their research before they purchased, knowing that their preferred environment was beaches, they would have never picked the simplex. It's fine for dry golden sands, however, struggles on wet sand, requiring sensitivity adjustment to even be passable, which erodes away your confidence. Finally, when picking a detector, you need to consider your physical well-being. Can you carry a heavy CTX around all day? Do you need to cut a few grams off the knocks by swapping out the shaft for a carbon fibre one? I made this mistake myself when buying the CTX. But luckily, MineLab released the harness to offset the weight. Luckily for MineLab, that is, because it cost me another 200 bucks. Luckily, my back is good now and I don't need to harness or struggle with the CTX anymore. So to quickly recap, these are the points. Do not believe the hype. Don't believe what the brand partner is telling you, or at least take it with a pinch of salt. Consider your budget. Budget has a direct correlation to complexity. And a new detectorist should stay in the low cost, low complexity range and upgrade as soon as they are in love with the hobby. Know where you want to hunt or what you're hunting for and select your detector accordingly. And finally, can your body take it? Can you swing the detector for a day? Do you need a lighter detector? Up next, we have some answers from the doctor. Welcome to the doctor detector section. We have an email from Blake Harder, long-time listener to the show. Chopsticks ahoy, Blake. Here's Blake's question. Dear Dr. Detector, help. I need to find a gold ring before the end of the year. I listened to this awesome podcast about metal detecting, hosting by this very funny and engaging Irish bloke. Earlier this year, he encouraged his listeners to set some detecting goals for the coming year. One of mine was to find three gold rings. Well, I haven't found one yet. Ah! I've hit the parks and the beach hard, looking for that elusive mid-tone. My pull-tab collection is growing, but still no gold. I hunt two to four hours a week, and in brackets, I know this is no way near enough. Help me, please. Yours in need, the ring seeker from the Southern Isles. So, Blake, 
I have considered your question deeply over the last couple of days. And these are the points I formulated that I think could help you hit that goal target. You say two to four hours is low, but it's not impossible. Longer would be better, obviously. The longer you're out there, the more ground you can cover. It's simple maths. Next point is go where people go. The Southern Isles have super popular beaches. If you have to, drive a few hours to do it. Remember, population equals prizes. The more people on the beaches, the more jewellery will be dropped, the more gold rings to be found. The next point is I bet you're digging everything or most targets. All the gold monsters out there who are super successful at finding gold only look for gold. They don't care about a $2 coin. They tune their detectors to weed out gold and can go for hours only digging pull tabs. Less digging equals more ground coverage. And if you're only focused on gold targets, you're digging very few holes in a day. My next point is look for the cut. You're not going to find a gold ring in the golden sand. Every gold ring I have found was in the cut. Think about it. Rings fall off hands because hands are wet. They shrink in the cold water and pop. There goes the ring. So you need to get as close to where it fell as possible. The best I ever did was with the knock the pulse dive with the scuba head flopping about in the surf. I found one ring and two pieces of jewellery in the first hour of a hunt. This was on a small popular beach so you may need to get wet and hunt in the surf. Final point is, go after a storm when all the gold sand and trash has been stripped off the beach and go as long as you can when the conditions are perfect, but only digging gold-like targets. So to recap quickly, staying out longer would be better, of course. In the Southern Isles, there are super popular beaches. If you have to, drive a few hours to get to them. And remember, population equals prizes. Be economical with how many holes you dig in a day. Only attempt to dig what you think could be gold. Leave behind any clad coins, any modern coinage. You're out to find gold. Only focus on gold. Less digging equals more ground coverage. Look for the cut and go after a storm when the storm has helped you clear the beach of trash and golden sand. Let me know how you get on. Chapsticks ahoy! And that's it for this week, guys. I hope you liked this week's episode. Don't forget, email drdetector at themetaldetectingshow.com or you can email Kieran at themetaldetectingshow.com. Check out Instagram, check out Twitter, check out the Patreon, and you can buy me a coffee. That's it this week, guys. Get out there, good luck, eyes down, and happy hunting. <laughs>